Bibles with you. I would encourage you to open to Luke chapter 15 and start into what is probably outside of the uh, uh, birth account of Jesus, what is probably the most well-known chapter of Luke. Uh, and it has these three parables in it that are familiar to us. So uh, we're going to work these, through these over the next two weeks together. Uh, but today uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. So let's hear God's word together. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, these are, are parables that are familiar to us, uh, and that's a wonderful thing, but often that familiarity can, can make us kind of uh, approach them flippantly. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would not do that here, uh, that we would focus our hearts and our minds and that you would show us the reality of who we are and that you would show us the reality of your great love for us, that you would show us the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Something precious. Well, if you have ever spent very much time in Reformed churches, or if you've ever hung out very long with any Reformed pastors, which I got to do, you know, last week before last, then you know that we have a fascination bordering on an obsession uh, with J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings, with those uh, series of books uh, maybe it's because, you know, he was a Christian and there are obvious Christian allusions in the story and we like to try to pick it apart and find all the ways that we can apply these things to our lives, which is always a dangerous thing to do. Uh, maybe it's just because we're a bunch of nerds and that's probably the reality of the situation. But either way, uh, if you hang out very long with folks that are Reformed, in the conversation, inevitably, uh, something about this book, these series of books... Is going to come up. Now, I tell you that at the start because I'm about to talk about these books. So just brace yourself. I realize that I am probably going to alienate half of the congregation when I do this because half of you don't care and half of you will love it a lot. So, but just bear with me, bear with me because there is a point here. So, one of the characters in the book is a character named Gollum. Uh, and if you've seen the movies, then you know that that was a big deal when it came out, the way they, they pre presented him and CGI'd him and all those sorts of things. Uh, but Gollum was once a hobbit, 
but over time, he has been transformed into this creature that is just barely alive. He, he doesn't even look like anything resembling a hobbit any longer. And we find out in the story that the reason why he is the way he is is because at some point in his life he found uh, the ring, the ring of power. Now that ring is, is a mighty ring, but you learn that it was forged for, for bad purposes. And whoever wears it, it, it corrupts them to the point to where they become like him. It grants them great power, uh, but it corrupts them completely. Now throughout the story in The Lord of the Rings, Gollum has, has lost the ring. This thing that, that he is so obsessed with. In fact, if you've seen the movies, you know over and over again, what, what is, his, what is his, um, his mantra? What, what does he say over and over again about the ring? What does he call it? It's my precious, right? My precious. Now, I, I, this is the reason why I'm telling you this story, is those two little words, my precious. The, the ring is, is dear to him. It's near to him. And so when he loses it, he will do anything, anything to get it back. And the story really throughout is a story about him pursuing the ring to the point where at the end he falls into the fires of Mount Doom trying to hold on to this ring. He pursues it to the end. He is diligent in his pursuit. Now, at various points throughout the story, he gets it back. He gets it back only to lose it, but he gets it back. And when he does... He rejoices. He shouts and he screams to have this thing that is so near to him back in his possession. Now, if you know the story, you're going, I cannot believe you started this with Gollum. Of all people, why did you start it with him? Because if he is anything, he's probably a better illustration of Romans 1 and the idols of our hearts than he is this. But, but, point today is that idea of my precious. This thing is so near and dear to him that he will do anything. He will go to any lengths to get this thing back. Friends, in our, our passage today, really the whole chapter of Luke 15 is a chapter about God's precious. What is near and dear to his heart. And the lengths that he is willing to go to get those things, those people in this case, back. How far he's willing, how diligently he's willing to seek. How long he's willing to go. This is a chapter that points us to those things. But it all begins here in verses 1 and 2 as, as these stories so often do, right? Jesus is eating with what is described as uh, tax collectors and sinners, right? He's, these tax collectors and sinners have gathered near to him. Now, if you've been here with us, we've talked about tax collectors before. Uh, they were shunned in every area of life. They, they were the, the worst of society. The Romans didn't like them because they, they were liars and thieves and cheaters, and they would go to any lengths to get the money that they wanted. So the Romans didn't like them. And then the Jews didn't like them either because they felt like they were traitors. They, they were working for the Roman government and they were stealing from their own people. And so Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, the worst. And then he's also hanging out with sinners. Now that, that's a kind of a catch-all term 
Uh, that describes prostitutes, it describes thieves, it describes uh, any number of anybody who was unwilling to follow the, the law that God had given. Any, anybody who was willing to, un, to follow the, the Jewish law. These are the people that Jesus are with. If we were to try to put this out into our society, he was with the lowest. He was with the ones that none of us would really have wanted to associate with or, or get near. And of course, these Pharisees, as they always do, they, they grumble against him, right? They don't like the fact that these are the people that Jesus wants to hang out with. And so they say, this man receives sinners. He eats with them. It's amazing to me that these men who were so well versed in the Old Testament, right? Uh, these are supposed to be the religious scholars of the day. Uh, the men who, who knew God's word better than anybody. It's amazing to me that, that somehow they have missed a passage like Ezekiel 34. We won't have to go back there, but if you know that passage, it's a passage where God is, is condemning the shepherds of Israel. Where he's saying to them, you were supposed to lead my people, but rather than lead them, you have, you have led them to their own devices or you have led them completely astray. But there's hope in that passage as well, right? He's condemning the, the shepherds, but he says, me, I, God, the great shepherd, I will come and I will lead them all in. Lead them all in. Also miss passages like Psalm 100, Psalm 80, Psalm 95, Psalm 23, where God is described as what? We just sang it, right? He's described as the good shepherd. And they miss passages like Isaiah 53, where it says, All of us, all of we like sheep, have gone astray. Now who is, who is Isaiah speaking to in that moment? He's speaking to Israel, right? He's speaking to Jews. He says, all of us. Like sheep have gone astray. And yet these men, somehow, in their sin, it shows the hardness of our own hearts, to be sure, that they have missed these truths. So, in order to try to make this more clear to them, in order to show them how God loves His people, and how He pursues His people, and the kind of people that He loves and pursues, and I hope that, that ticked your ears up a little bit, because this is a parable about us. It's about all, all people, all humans. Show us how he loves us. He gives us these stories in quick, this really quick procession here. Now, there's three things I want you to keep in mind as we move through this today, okay? Three simple questions, and we're going to come back to them in the end. So keep them in your mind. First, we have to ask as we read these parables, how does God view sinners? How does God view sinners? It's an important question to ask. Secondly, I want you to ask yourself, how do I view myself? Okay? How does God view sinners? How do I view myself? And then thirdly, we're going to ask, how do I view the world? Okay? So that's the three things I want you to keep in front of you. Let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is losing something precious. Losing something precious. Now, Ben has, has done a great job of setting this up for us. But what I simply want you to see here in this first point is almost the, the, the almost surprising value that the shepherd and the, and the lady in this story put on the thing that they have lost, right? Notice, this is not the, the only thing they have. 
the, the, the shepherd, he has a hundred sheep and he's only lost one. The woman in the story, she has ten coins and she's only lost one. I think for most of us, you know, this is not the same as, you remember when David sins with Bathsheba and Nathan comes to him and tells him the parable and he says, there's this man who had one sheep, only one, and they killed it and it was, and David said, you know, no, don't ever do that. Well, it's not like that man, right? They have more than just one. And so I think our temptation is to think, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You still have others you can care for in the case of the shepherd. You still have other money in the case of the woman who lost her coin. This is not particularly that, that big of a deal, we wouldn't think. But notice, notice the value that they put on this one thing that they've lost. This is particularly true for the shepherd. In order to find the sheep, they are directionless. They, they, they'll get lost and they will wander far afield. They, they won't come back. They can't find their way back. And so in order for him to go and to find this, this sheep, it meant leaving those 99 in open territory. So maybe he got somebody else to watch them, but surely they were in some form of danger with the shepherd leaving. He, he leaves them. And then he goes, and there's no telling how far he'll have to wander. No telling what kind of countryside he'll have to traverse. There's no telling what he may find when he finds the sheep. What kind of danger they may be in, because they're also defenseless. You remember David talks about fighting bears and wolves and lions and all of these things. Well, when this shepherd finds this sheep, he may be encountering these things for himself. And so not only is he seeking, but he's putting himself in a certain amount of harm's way, right? Why would he do that? Why would the shepherd go to such great lengths? Why would this woman go to such great lengths to find this one coin that is lost? Well, when I was in middle school, I think I was in middle school, I had braces. And uh, after you get them off, of course, back then you got this ugly retainer that was pink and it had a wire on it. And you protected that retainer with your life, right? It was, near, it was dear to you. And obviously I didn't wear it because I still have this gap in my teeth. But um, one time I was at McDonald's and somehow I got out of McDonald's without the retainer. And so I didn't have it. The only option was that I had thrown it in the trash at, at, at McDonald's in Chupelo, Mississippi. Now, my mother, being the, the wonderful mom that she is, she went back into McDonald's, and guess what she did? She sifted through all of that McDonald's garbage to find my retainer. Now, why would she do that? Certainly, she was a good mother, and she valued me, and she loved me, and she, she was, it was a very nice thing to do. But also, I don't know how much a retainer was going for in those days, but it was not cheap, and she valued the retainer, right? It, she had to get it back. And so she sifted through the garbage. Well, friends, we have something similar going on here. The reason why the shepherd goes after the one sheep the reason why the woman wants to get the one coin is because it's like that one is the only one. It's like that one is all they've got. 
and they're going to do whatever they can to get it. The value, the worth of even one is astronomical here. It's huge. They can't stand to be without even the one. Friends, don't miss the implications of the context here. Don't get so lost in the parable that you forget what's happening in the bigger picture. What Jesus is saying to these Pharisees is that these tax collectors, these sinners, the people we would never hang out with, the people that the Pharisees despised, they were valuable to Him. They had worth. Real worth. Worth enough that He was not just willing to let them go. Even one. Even if there was one in the midst. He was going to do all He could to meet with them. To be with them. To see them. To talk to them. To know them. That's what He does over and over and over again in Luke's Gospel. It's the the lowest, the most surprising. Jesus sees. Even sinners. He sees. You know, the, the children's songs that we grew up singing, they're so simple. But sometimes they're the most profound. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are what? They're precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Even the sinful children of the world. Even the tax collectors. Even the worst. He loves them. So we see here losing something precious. Secondly in this passage, I want you to notice finding something precious. Now, given the way that that we have described the the owner's feelings towards these things that they have lost, it's not surprising to find that they immediately begin to search for these things that they've lost. And I want you to notice two things here. First, notice the, the urgency, the determination with which they look. Again, the shepherd, he leaves his 99 in the open country and he goes. But you really see it in the case of this woman, don't you? She, she will leave no stone unturned until she finds this coin that she's lost. She knows that it's in her house, and so she lights a lamp. She, she wants to dispel any darkness, any shadows that might hide this coin from her. Then she, she begins to, to clean up. She begins to sweep, right? No dust will cover the coin. No cobwebs will conceal it. She's going to do all that she can and it says that she, she seeks diligently until she finds it. I imagine it must have been something like searching for a contact. Again, I'm going to bring my mama into this. You know, I have contacts, but mine are soft contacts. They're disposable, and so if you lose one, it's not that big of a deal. But growing up, she had glass contacts, and they were tiny, tiny. And you couldn't lose them, right? You couldn't just go get one and, and replace it. And so every now and again... We would hear, hey, I've lost a contact. And so we would all have to come in the bathroom or wherever she was. And we were like down on our hands and knees, like trying to sift through all of this stuff to try to find this contact. It was precious. We had to have it back. 
can't imagine this woman doing the same thing, right? She's lost this coin. She has to find it. She's down on her hands and knees. She'll leave no stone unturned until she finds it. She's determined. Next, notice, at least in the case of the shepherd, what happens when he finds the lost sheep? Friends, don't miss this. Please, please, don't miss this. I have a dog. This, don't, you can miss this part, but it's, it's a good example. I have a dog. We have a dog, Marshall. He weighs 107 pounds. He's humongous. And every now and again, he has this collar that's supposed to keep him in the fence, and, and he, he gets loose, and he runs around the neighborhood. Bruce is shaking his head because he's seen him running around. It's hard to miss his huge white dog running through the neighborhood. And guess what happens when he gets loose? I have to go find it. And so I'll be traipsing through the neighborhood trying to find this huge dog. And when I find him, normally, he has no interest in coming back. And so I'll put the collar on him, and I'm like, come on, dog, and I'm trying to pull him. And when a 107-pound dog puts the brakes on, that's it. There's no getting him to move. So guess what? I have to pick up this dog, 107 pounds, and I'm trying to tow him, and I make it about 10 feet, and I have to put him down, and we have to rest for a minute, and I pick him up. Needless to say, by the time I get him home, I'm ready to kill him. Like, I would have just rather have killed him out there rather than have to carry him all the way back. I'm so mad at this dog. But notice this shepherd. Shepherd's not like me, is he? He goes out. He finds the sheep. Does he fuss at the sheep? Does he say, you stupid sheep? I told you to stay with the other sheep. Why did you wander away? Is he berated? It says there in the passage, and he finds his sheep, picks him up, and throws him on his shoulder. Just, just like I do with Marshall, probably a lot stronger than me, and probably uh, more fit. But he puts him on his shoulder. He bears his weight. He bears his burden. All the way back to the herd, and then when he gets him back, does he say, oh, this stupid sheep, I'm going to kill you. If you do this again, I'm going to kill you. Just like I want to do with Marshall. Does he do that? He says that he rejoices. He rejoices to bear the burden of this sheep that was lost. Again, friends, don't miss the context here. In coming to this world, Christ was seeking his sheep. He says as much in Luke 19, chapter 10, right? He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Not only that, but in taking human flesh and stooping so low, he was sparing absolutely nothing to find them. He, he was going to the extreme. He was, he was doing everything, taking on the flesh of those that he had made to search out his lost sheep. He was telling us he would go to whatever distance. He would do whatever it took. And when he finds those lost sheep, what does he do? Does he berate us? Does he kick us out? Does he say, I'm going to kill you when we get back to the herd? No. He bears their weight. He bears their weight spiritually. He takes their sin and their guilt and their shame. And he took it all the way to a cross so that he might present his sheep spotless before the Father. So that he might present us clean on that day. We had a wedding Saturday. 
And I'm always, every wedding, I, I, I talk about Revelation 19, and Jesus is there with His bride, and she is spotless. Well, why is she spotless? It's because He came into the world, and He put us on His shoulders. He put our burden, our guilt on His shoulders, and He took it to the cross. And He paid the, the penalty once and for all. These tax collectors, these sinners in this story, they deserve nothing but His ire, nothing but to push away from them. He's saying to us that these tax collectors and these sinners, even them, some of them belong to Him. There is no distance He will not go to save those things that are precious to Him. And so He gladly goes and He seeks them. He gladly found them and He brought them home. So we've seen losing something precious. We've seen finding something precious. And then thirdly and finally in this passage, we see rejoicing over something precious. Now next week, what we'll really see this in earnest. But, but for now, you, we've already seen it in some degree to the reaction that the shepherd had when he found the sheep, the reaction that the woman has when she found, finds the, the coin in their personal lives. They're overjoyed, right? They, they want to shout. They want to sing. I, I imagine it like David coming in in front of the ark into Israel. He's dancing. He's sing, he is so excited to have God's presence there. Imagine for the shepherd and for this woman, it's something like that when they find what was lost. You know that. If you've ever lost something really precious to you, when you find it, there's, there's not a greater feeling maybe in the world than that. When you know it, it's back, it's there. These folks, they rejoice. Notice, their, their joy is so great. What happens? It overflows, right? not just joy in their lives, though they certainly are joyful. But they have to call their friends. They have to call their family. They say, hey, come rejoice with me. This sheep that I lost, it's back. This coin that I've lost, I have found it. And the joy is contagious. The joy is contagious. Everybody comes and they celebrate. They, they are so, it's not their coin. It's not their sheep. They are rejoicing over the fact that these things that were lost, they are now back. Friends, one last point of context here is Christ brings in these lost people. His joy at their salvation, it cannot be contained. It cannot be contained. It overflows. The angels in heaven, they rejoice to see the salvation of sinners. Christ's point here, and this is really the whole point of the whole chapter, is not only do the angels rejoice, but he's saying to the Pharisees, you should rejoice as well. This joy that belongs to God, it also overflows to His people. Yes, we may not know the people in Pakistan. We may not know that woman. We may not know the people in China. We may not know the person down the street. But friends, if they come to know Jesus as their Savior, that joy is my joy. And that joy is your joy if you're resting in Christ today. Because it's your Savior's joy. He rejoices. And it overflows to each one of us. Angels rejoice. Friends, how much more should we as well ride along with them? Now, 
That brings us all back to our intro, right? I told you to keep those three questions in your mind. I hope you did. And let's consider them just very briefly here. First, we ask, how does God view sinners? Well, this parable makes it clear, right? Both of them. Makes it very clear to us. He loves them very much. That may be the understatement of the century, but he loves them very much. He holds them as precious. So much so that he sent his only begotten son into the world to seek and to save them. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. The good shepherd, he calls his own and he gets them safely home. He even rejoices over them. Friends, I know I say this often, but you can't let this pass without saying it again. If you're here today and you're looking for worth, if you're here today and you're looking for value, and the, the truth is, is the majority of people in our world are looking just for that, and they're looking in all the wrong places. If you want to be valued, there is no greater value than this, right? The God of all creation, the God of heaven, He says, you are mine. He seeks you. He sends His Son to die for you. He has declared your worth if you are resting in Him. That's good news for sinners. He loves them. Secondly, that leads us to our second question. How do you view yourself? If you were had to get pinned down and somebody really and really tell the truth to somebody, what would you confess to be true about yourself? As we can act like we are all righteous, like, like we are more part of the 99 or that one nine that are gone, truth is, is there's very little help in that for us. The truth is, is it's a lie. If any of us were to say that we are without sin, we're a liar. That's what the Bible says to us. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. All of us have fallen short of His glory. So what's the truth about us? We're more like those tax collectors and sinners than we are like the 99 who were left behind. We're more like those sheep that are lost and that coin that was lost than we would care to admit. Again, remember number one, God loves sinners. Christ came and died for sinners. If you're here today and you realize that's the truth of your, your life, if you look at your heart and you see your sin and you're overwhelmed by it, then friends, let me tell you, you've come to the right place. This shepherd, he seeks and he saves his own. Even the worst of sinners, he brings back into the fold. He loves you. I don't know how everything else is going to work out, but I can tell you with confidence, he loves you. And he is still seeking his own. If he's moving in your heart today, do not delay. Do not hesitate. Repent, as it says. Finally, last question. How do we view others? How do we view... How does God view us? How do we view ourselves? And how do we view others? Friends, too often, I'm afraid in my own life uh, that it's more like the Pharisees than, than it is like Jesus. We look out at the world, especially in the world that we live in today, and we want to wall ourselves in. We want to distance ourselves from those folks out there. We can't do it can't do it because Christ 
joy over the salvation of sinners is infectious. It should fill our hearts. It should fill our minds till it overflows to the point where when we leave this place, we cannot keep our mouths shut about what Jesus has done for us. What He's done for these people that, that we are connected to. Our brothers and sisters sitting next to us in the pew. Overflows with joy. Is that how we view the world? Do we rejoice to see them saved? Do we rejoice to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior? As may we always remember who we are. May we always remember the grace of our Savior. The shepherd, the good shepherd who has called us in. May we always seek to extend that same grace and mercy, that knowledge of who He is to those who are lost. That's what He calls us to do. That's His call to us as a church and as individuals. Seek the lost just as He seeks them. And we doing it as we pray together. Father, we come before You and we do. We rejoice that though the truth of our hearts is evident to us. Your Scripture says to us that, that none of us, that the heart is so deceitful that we don't even know ourselves. And yet, in our sin, in our failures, You have seen us. And You have not turned away from us. You have not left us. Far from it. You have sought us and pursued us. And You call us and You make us Your own. Lord, that's something worth rejoicing over. That's something we're celebrating over, that you would love us with so great a love. Lord, as we consider those things, I pray that you would help us to, to be honest with ourselves, but also that you would send us out into the world, that your joy would rest in us, that it would overflow in our lives, and that many would come to know Jesus as their Savior, as they see the truth of what he has done for us, as they see the love that he has, even for the worst of sinners. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to the call that you have given us. Again, we praise you for this great shepherd. This great shepherd who has called us in by the power of his word, by his blood shed on our behalf, by his resurrection from the dead. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 599. Savior like a shepherd, lead us. Please stand.